welcome back to She's All That Minute. The podcast reanalyzed the 1999 examination of popularity in high school, She's All That, one minute at a time. I'm your co-host, Aaron. I'm your co-host, James. Minute 39 begins with Alex Trebek finishing his sentence from the previous minute. If you'll recall, this city's French quarter encompasses about 70 blocks. And we have it going through Lainey telling Mac, um, when Mac asks her, don't you ever wear makeup? Lainey says, no, my mom died before I... So that that's not going to lead to a, a, an awkward moment at all. It's going to be fine. Not awkward unless we make it awkward. Exactly. So we have another uh, Mr. Boggs plays Jeopardy, plays being in uh, about five air quotes. Um, uh-huh. Uh, this city's French Corridor encompasses about 70 blocks. He says, what is Paris, France? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you consider Paris to be the French Quarter of Europe? France, <laughs> it might be about, I don't know how big Paris is. It might be 70 blocks. Well, they're metric blocks, so they're bigger. Oh, uh, that is true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and the answer is, of course, what is New Orleans? And I'm not positive... But I'm pretty sure we talked about New Orleans and the French Quarter back in Crossroads Minute. So I think we did, yes. I didn't do any research on that, but I did do research on what Max says to Lainey upstairs. Which is about Sesame Street. Yes, it is. So Mac is tweezing Lainey's eyebrows. Um, Lainey is being a big weenie about this. Okay, I, even if it's the first time that she's ever had this happen... I don't know. I don't... I mean, I've been tweezing my eyebrows since high school, right. so at this point, I don't even feel it. Right. But... Because I you're dead inside, don't, but yeah. Also because I'm dead inside, yes. <laughs> but I don't remember the first time being... Lainey is saying ow the way my children say ow when I suggest that we brush their hair. Right. As though the mere suggestion of a hairbrush is enough to cause... Like hell levels of pain. Is this Lainey dragging feet some more? I don't think so. I think this was meant to be a, oh, this makeover, like pain is beauty, beauty is pain. Right. And Lainey has never had her eyebrows tweezed, therefore this hurts a lot. I mean, it doesn't feel good. Right. But also, if, especially if you're only going one hair at a time, like, it's really not that big a deal. Tweezing eyebrows. I'm going to come out and uh-huh. say it. That's what we're all thinking. The easiest pantomime for a makeover. Yeah. If, if you don't need to be close up and actually have anything uh, change about the person's face, because I don't know if you noticed and, and feel otherwise, but I didn't notice that Lainey had a particular uh, eyebrow, unibrow situation. Um, she did not. She's no Anne Hathaway in The Princess Diaries where that was a thing that they for sure made happen so that the makeover would be a thing. This is not that. This is, I guess we need to have something happening because it's a wild premise that we have to have someone go upstairs and... We can't have Mac put Lainey's contacts in her eyes. (laughs) So I guess tweezing her eyebrows? Yeah, exactly. Plus then we can make this really funny Sesame Street joke. Right, so she says... You know, Bert from Sesame Street, and then the scene cuts. So, that's a reference that probably many people get, but just in case, we're 50 years uh-huh. in the future. Sesame Street has been um, eradicated from the planet for 25 years. It's Oh, no. It's a dark hellscape. 
and uh, people don't know. So Bert. So here's something interesting. I looked up Bert on Wikipedia, and it had two paragraphs. And I was like, that's not right. And that's because the Bert and Ernie Wikipedia page is the one with all the content, which is yeah something. Okay, so. Here's some stuff about Bert, the the Sesame Street Muppet. Okay. Says, Bert and Ernie were built by Don Salin from a simple design scribbled by Jim Henson. I love that verb. I love to think that he, that Jim Henson was like, whatever, just here. Um, and then they're beloved uh, characters now. Uh, initially, Henson performed Bert and Oz performed Ernie, but then after one day of rehearsal, they switched, which is hilarious to me. They're like, no, 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 no. That's, this isn't working. Switch. Interesting. Yeah. The original idea was to show that even though two people can have totally different characteristics, they can still be good friends. That is true. According to writer John Stone, the relationship between Bert and Ernie reflected the real-life friendship between Oz and Henson. And then here's a sentence that I don't believe one bit of. Ready? Okay. Although their names were, are commonly believed to have been drawn from those of two minor characters in the Frank Capra film It's a Wonderful Life... Sources from the from within the Sesame Street production team suggest that the identical names were coincidental. I call balderdash on that. On the coincidental part? Yeah, it's not coincidental one tiny bit. I don't believe that for a second. Bert and Ernie, for those of you that haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, has two friends that aren't Donna Reed or an angel. And okay. they are Bert and Ernie. Like, okay. it's Bert the cop and Ernie the cab driver, and they are literally, other than people that are related to George Bailey or evil or an angel, the only characters given names. That's not exactly true, but, like, it's not... Bert and Ernie aren't, like, John and Joe or, like, Dave and right. Christopher or whatever. Bert and Ernie are unlikely... I don't buy. I don't buy that for a second. So you think it was intentional and not just? Why do these names sound good together? It, no, I I buy that, but that's not coincidence. That's unwitting influence. Sure, sure. I don't buy that. It was just random. Oh, we picked two names out of a hat, and they were Bert and Ernie. <laughs> no, I don't yeah. buy that for a second. No, uh, I don't buy that either. According to A and E's biography, which was A and E sometimes is bio, some of these like biography and behind the music. I like to think that there's one, like, rogue on the writing team that's like, oh, you're doing uh, Neil Armstrong? Cool. I'm doing Bert and fucking Ernie. What do you think about that? And they're like, I mean, I guess it's not wrong. Okay. And then it's just like the wild, like, okay. So A&E's biography episode about Bert and Ernie. Uh, <laughs> they were virtually the only Muppets to appear in the, subs- in the Sesame Street pilot episode, which was screen tested to a number of families in July 1969. Their brief appearance was the only part of the pilot that tested well. <laughs> so it was decided the rest was okay. just, just hardcore gangster rap. It was early for 1969, okay. but uh, they did not like it. But their kids are going to love well, it. Um, yep. So it was decided that not only should Muppet characters be the stars of the show, but would also interact with the human characters, something that was not done in the pilot. So actually, that's interesting because you don't really see Bert and Ernie with humans in their sketches at all. They're yeah, sort of, at like ever. Yeah. Um, okay. So, an ordinary Bert and Ernie sketch involves Ernie coming up with a harebrained idea and Bert trying to talk him, talk him out of it, usually getting him frustrated and Ernie dumbfounded. For example, if Ernie wanted to do something loud, if Bert is doing something quiet, like reading a book or the newspaper, Bert would teach him how to be quiet. However, Ernie would still make noise, which would cause Bert to either lose his temper or leave the room. 
When did The Odd Couple happen? I was wondering if Bert and Ernie were the original Odd Couple. They were definitely the original Pinky and the Brain. Okay, 1968 was the movie, which means that the play was somewhat before that. Um, Right, okay. Or was the movie? No, 1965 was the play. So Bert and Ernie were literally like, all right, well, The Odd Couple? Sure, sounds good. Sesame Street Live performer Taylor Morgan said in an interview, here's another thing that is going to blow your mind. I just kind of try to think like a six or seven-year-old because that's how old Bert is. What? If Bert is younger than 36 years old, I will eat Bert is a full-grown man. He is is a man. He is a man. They live alone. They're not six. Ugh. Taylor Morgan. Six and seven-year-olds, first off, yeah, don't live alone. Second off, don't wear those sweaters. Right. Even in the 70s. (laughs) Right, right. Bert is a nerd and a a grown man. And those are two things that are for sure. Yes. All right. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room. His name is, is, is Tiny, and he is my friend. All right. Now let's talk about the uh, Bert and Ernie are gay thing just really quick, because I found some interesting sure. stuff about that. Um, it says, Bert and Ernie live together in an apartment located in the basement of 123 Sesame Street. Despite sleeping in separate beds, they share the same bedroom, which has led to some speculation that they are a representation of gay lovers. This has been repeatedly denied by Sesame Workshop. And some of Bert's interactions with female characters do appear to show that he is attracted to women, like serenading Connie Stevens in the Some Enchanted Evening segment of a first season episode of The Muppet Show, and recording a song about his girlfriend, I Want to Hold Your Ear, which was released on several albums. Um, Which I have to imagine is I Want to Hold Your Hand, but it's ear, and I have to imagine it makes sense like it's a bunny or something. uh, Yeah. Also, um... So all I'm getting from this is that Bert is at the very least uh, perhaps bi. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> he has he has romantic interactions with female characters, so not gay. Okay, well, okay. Yep. Um, in the in July 2013, the New Yorker magazine chose an image of Bert and Ernie by artist Jack Hunter titled "Moment of Joy" as the cover of their publication, which covers the Supreme Court decisions on the Defense of uh, Marriage Act. And California proposed California's Proposition Eight. Uh, I think it showed Bert and Ernie like lying together on a couch, like Ernie leaning up against Bert as they watched the the announcement on the TV. I think that was what the what the the cover was. Okay. Sesame Workshop was reportedly so outraged by the idea that it was rumored to be considering the possibility of of litigation. I'm going to say that's a lot of. Uh, hearsay and conjecture in that sentence so I'm not sure we can uh, we can fault Sesame Workshop just yet um, it gets better. right um, kind of so in, sem- in September 2018 Mark Salzman one of the script and songwriters to Sesame Street alleged in an interview with Queer Tea which I just realized that is a uh, computer keyboard pun with queer in it and I love it that is a fantastic mm-hmm. pun that Bird and Ernie were analogs for his own intimate relationship with film editor Arnold Glassman despite the fact that he did not begin writing for Sesame Street until 15 years after Bert and Ernie's first appearance so. <laughs> I mean okay you know but at sometimes that, at that... you don't realize you're gay until yeah. you've been living with your roommate for 15 years. I'd like to see, uh, you know, a, a sampler of the first 15 years and then the next 15 years. Uh-huh. 
It could be that Mark Saltzman is the one that, that sort of gave it that, that spin. Sesame Workshop responded by asserting that Bert and Ernie have no sexual orientations because they are puppets. Which, okay. <laughs> Which, okay, I haven't seen Avenue Q, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that puppets can have sexual orientations just based I, on the existence of Avenue Q. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so then Frank Oz, who previously performed as Bert, stated Bert and Ernie were not gay, saying, they're not, of course, a gay couple. But why that question? Does it really matter? Why the need to define people as only gay? There's much more to a human being than just straightness or gayness. Bad delivery of a fine sort of, like, it makes, it's a, in a sort of, not quite all lives matter, but in kind of a, like, Okay, but since we're talking, but don't worry, we're going to hear from Frank Oz again. Sesame Street went on to clarify further, stating, no, Bert and Ernie aren't gay, they're best friends. Yeah, okay. (laughs) You can't be both. (laughs) Gal pals, um, gal pal is my favorite uh, euphemism for uh, secret gay um, relationship, by the way. The Gay Star News reported that fans reacted negatively to this assertion on grounds of apparent homophobia. Frank Oz later tweeted in September 2018, A last thought. If Jim and I had created Bert and Ernie as gay characters, they would be inauthentic coming from two straight men. However, I have now learned that many view them as representative of a loving gay relationship, and that's pretty wonderful. Thanks for helping me understand. Frank Oz sticks the landing, in in my opinion. Yeah. I don't disagree with his previous point of... No. Like, what does it matter? There's more to people than their sexual orientation. Sure. It wasn't well delivered. No. But I see the point that he at least could have been making. I'm not going to say the point he was trying to make, but the point he could have been making. But the thing is, if people are looking, it depends how you look at it. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at it from a lens of Bert and Ernie are gay and so Sesame Street should burn in hell because they're all horrible heathen sodomists, then like, yeah, that's a bad, that's bad. But if you're looking at it as, hey, representation of diverse viewpoints. Or, yeah, like, I see myself in these characters. Yeah. Either excited about seeing themselves or there's the flip side of the coin, the people who want to damn Sesame Street for being, you know, for putting that out there. Right. The the tinky winky uh, thinking. Like, I, I feel like that is the contingent that is the most vocal in this Bert and Ernie are clearly gay lovers. Oh, really? And... Huh. I thought it was, I, I always thought it was sort of like, oh, oh man, really? they're so, you know, clearly gay, good for them. Oh, no, I guess most of what I've heard has been people huh. railing against how dare Sesame Street poison our children's minds by telling them that it's okay <sighs> to be gay. <laughs> All right. I don't care who the puppets are, who the Muppets are. If someone is saying that about Sesame Street, they have yeah. not been watching Sesame Street at all. They don't know. understand Sesame Street. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Sesame Street, the place for hate. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, well, no, no. Okay. They're teaching you, no, no, it's not the place for hate. It's the place that tells you that it's okay to be gay. <laughs> the opposite of hate they put <sighs> messages of love and acceptance in our youth's minds they're weak monsters yeah exactly Ugh. 
All right. So then we cut back downstairs to another Jeopardy question. Yep. His face, alongside George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Abraham Lincoln, appears on Mount Rushmore. Laney's dad's guess, who is President Rushmore. And... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, I see... I see where he's coming from. <laughs> There's a friend's quote that, that this makes me think of. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, a season three episode where Joey is watching uh, Jeopardy and it is literally blank O-U-N-T Rushmore. <laughs> and Joey's like, come on, this guy's such an idiot. It's clearly Count Rushmore. <laughs> And Chandler's like, Joey, there's there's no there's no Count Rushmore. And Joey's like, oh yeah, well who put the faces on that mountain? Which is pretty good. Um, I have a question about that. How is there the, how is the M in Rushmore turned over? It's it's not. Oh, uh, uh, maybe it's not. I'm gonna go with it's not because that's a huge gaffe. Yeah. It has. So it would have had be. to have been blank out rush blank or. Right, exactly. Okay. Yes. I have to I have to imagine that is. Oh, if you have then who's the guy that painted the faces on the mountain? Painted is a very good verb in that joke. Um, uh-huh. Okay. So, uh, the answer is of course Teddy Roosevelt. Uh-huh. But I knew that one. Here's some stuff about Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore National Memorial is centered on a colossal sculpture carved into the granite face of Mount Rushmore. Yep. Uh, so the memorial like, you know, it there's the Mount Carved, Rushmore thing. Right, exactly. Uh, and then the, Lakota, the Lakota name for it translates to six grandfathers, I would imagine, before it got carved. Uh, it is in the Black Hills uh, in Keystone, South Dakota. Sculptor Gutsan Borglum, uh, fantastic anagram-sounding name there, uh, yep. created the sculpture's design and oversaw the project's execution from 1927 to 1941 with the help of his son, Lincoln Borglum. Lincoln Washington Jefferson Roosevelt Borglum was his son, and <laughs> mm-hmm. Lincoln Rushmore Borglum would be funnier. Um, okay, so the sculpture features the 60-foot heads of Washington Jefferson Roosevelt and Lincoln, as recommended by Borglum. The four presidents were chosen to represent the, the nation's birth, growth, development, and preservation, respectively. Okay. So... Birth and growth, Washington and Jefferson, fine. Development, Teddy Roosevelt, Lincoln preservation. Preservation has to mean, like, keeping together or restoring togetherness. Right. As opposed to, I guess, conservation, which is what Teddy Roosevelt did when he made national parks. Right. Which I guess would be development. Okay. Uh, It covers 1,278 acres or two square miles. And the actual mountain has an elevation of... Uh, 5,725 feet above sea level. Um, Okay, so South Dakota Dakota historian Doan Robinson is credited with conceiving the idea of carving the likeness of noted figures into the mountains of the Black Hills of South Dakota in order to present tourism in the region. His initial idea was to sculpt the needles. So the needles are these rock structures coming up from the ground that are like... They look like like needles or fingers coming up from the earth. But they look like... um, like a coal or like obsidian sort of deal. Okay. However, Guts on Borglum rejected the needles because of the poor quality of the granite and strong opposition from the Lakota, who considered the Black Hills to be sacred ground. 
So and that and the needles were originally included in the Great Sioux Reservation, uh, Lakota Sioux. Lakota is um, a mm-hmm. tribe of the Sioux people. Um, yeah. The United States broke up the territory after gold was discovered in the Black Hills. Cause, fuck them. Um, yeah, colonialism. Colonialism, gold over everything. The sculptor and tribal representatives settled America. on Mount Rushmore, which America, um, which also has the advantage of facing southeast for maximum sun exposure. Robinson wanted it to feature... That's Doan Robinson. Um, noted wrong about where to, where to sculpt it. Doan Robinson uh, wanted it to feature American West heroes such as Lewis and Clark, their expedition guide Sacagawea, Oglala Lakota Chief Red Cloud, Buffalo Bill Cody, and Oglala Lakota Chief Crazy Horse. So at first I'm like, Lewis and Clark, oh, right? Well, and then you know, three Native American people, which is like, all right, cool. That's actually, actually not a bad list. Borglum believed that the sculpture should have broader appeal and chose the four presidents. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, he's not wrong, but I don't, I don't love that he's not wrong. Peter Norbeck, U.S. Senator from South Dakota, sponsored the project and secured federal funding. Construction began in 27. The president's faces were completed between 34 and 39. Then Borglum died in 1940, in March of 1941, and Lincoln took over uh, each president was originally depi- to be depicted from the head to waist, but um, October 31st, 1941, they ended construction not there at like their chests because okay. they lost funding. They did Their funding was done. Sure. Okay. Sometimes referred to as the Shrine of Democracy, Mount Rushmore attracts more than 2 million visitors annually. Okay. And then the last thing I have is from a section called something better than but basically adding more faces question mark in 1937 when the sculpture was not yet complete a bill in congress supporting the addition of women's rights activist susan b anthony failed when the sculpture was completed in 1941 the sculptor stated that the remaining rock was not suitable for additional carvings this stance was shared by (laughs) r-e-s-p-e-c an engineering firm charged with the monitor with monitoring the stability of the rock (laughs) Respect. Yeah. Uh, Aretha Franklin's song originally was the uh, slogan for the advertisement for this engineering firm. Um, R-E-S-P-E-C firm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, find out find about out making contracts long term. Right. Exactly. Therm. Oh. Right, right. That's good. That's good. Um, so yours they, made they sense. Were, well, but, I, but yours was funnier. So, I mean, I guess it's a mouth. Tomato, um, tomato. <laughs> tomato th- to thermal auto. Um, so they were monitoring the stability of rock in 1989, and they were like, yeah, yeah, don't, don't carve more on this. It's not going to be good. However, and this is the, if this isn't the most American thing, uh, I don't know what is, proposals of additional sculptures have been made regardless. <laughs> Science. Yep. Fuck that. These include John F. Kennedy after his assassination in 1963, Ronald Reagan in both 1985 and 1999, the latter proposal receiving a debate in Congress at the time. Barack Obama was asked about his own potential addition in 2008, and he joked that his ears were too large because (laughs) he's a fucking treasure. And then there's a whole paragraph about Donald Trump, which I'm not going to read, but the summary is basically Donald Trump wishes people would take it more seriously that he wants to be on Mount Rushmore, but they won't, so he has to keep saying it's a joke, but it's not. It's clearly not. It's not, it's not, it's not. Yeah. All right. So, 
Hashtag the Donald Trump story. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then this last paragraph fascinated me. According to a survey of political science experts conducted by the New York Times in 2018, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is the most popular choice for addition to Mount Rushmore, regardless of party affiliation. In total, 66% of respondents would choose Roosevelt, followed by Barack Obama at 7%. Wow. Whew. That's yeah. a jump. Yeah, and Ronald Reagan at 5%. Among Democrats, Roosevelt was chosen by 75%, followed by Barack Obama at 11%. Among Republicans, Roosevelt was chosen by 43%, followed by Reagan at 19%. Among Independents, Roosevelt was chosen by 57%, followed by both Reagan and Dwight D. Eisenhower at 11%. So, funny that another Roosevelt is basically, if we ever did it, if we found out that RESPEC was just a conspiracy to... Not put Susan B. Anthony or or other people up there. It looks like it's FDR that's going to go up there. And that's yeah. Mount Rushmore. Okay. So, have you ever been to Mount Rushmore? I have not. I have one time. I don't really remember it. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> Good story, James. I do know that I got a book about presidents that I was... I intended to read on the drive back to Nebraska and then didn't because it was too advanced for me. It was like, I was in like elementary school and it was definitely like a, maybe an eighth or ninth grade level thing. Okay. Also, I probably should have, that's another, that's a thing where it's like, also, I'm not great at reading that kind of thing, even to this day. So. Sure. So, Lainey's dad continues to be bad at Jeopardy and Simon comes in and asks Zach if he'd like a drink. Yep. And Zach says, sure. What do you got? And Simon doesn't answer him or says, I'm going to go check or whatever. But what he means is I'm going to make you something. All right. And boy, does he. Aaron, I could identify that Rio Rica, which is something that he pours, that is a brand of wine that is listed on cheap wines. Okay. I have to imagine that that, that Rio Rica at some point, despite my Googling not coming up with that, made not wine. Okay, let Regardless of them do... being referred to as a wine company. <laughs> okay, Rio Rica? Yeah, they're enti- entirely hard to... Uh, I guess because they mean, like, Rich River. So, like, if you search Rio Rica wine, I think it comes up, maybe. Okay, I found... Okay, I see the Rio Rica wine. I looked up Rio Rica alcohol, and it wants to know if I mean Rio Rico alcohol. Possible. So I'm going to look that up because these wine bottles don't look like the bottle. The, the, the label doesn't look the same, but the font of the, of the lettering looks similar to me. Okay. This I desperately is... want this not to be wine. <laughs> it didn't look like a wine. I assumed that it was like cheap whiskey or tequila all that was in that that liquor thing other than what he pulled out was looked like scotch i think i saw about four scotch labels so there is a rio rico arizona that has a number of liquor stores okay and that is all that i'm finding i mean it could be like a let's brand alcohol possibly Um, It could be. Okay, so he mixes, it looked like a brown liquor. Yeah. Into 
what looked to me like Pepto-Bismol. Uh, see, I was... So it's a margarita glass. Right. Filled with something pink. It yeah. didn't look quite as opaque as Pepto-Bismol, but it's like, what if you decided to make pink lemonade, but all you had was regular lemonade and some Pepto-Bismol? Yeah, okay, I agree with that. Like, it wasn't so he... comp- like it wasn't quite as creamy looking, but it was right. definitely not... Unnatural a pink. Liquid. Yeah. 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 And then he pours the alcohol in, and then he pours what I assumed was cranberry juice. I couldn't see, but it oh, looked I like a sort of... Oh, I thought it was Coke. Oh, oh, oh. I didn't look very close. I thought it was Coke. It looked like... It didn't look like a Coke, unless it was Diet Coke. It didn't it look have like been a Diet Coke, Coke can. It looked to me like a, like an ocean spray can. That of like would be cran- better. Yeah. I mean, like, barely better, because whatever he made is not palatable. No, no. And I hope Zach doesn't drink it. Well, we'll, we'll see if he does, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, not today. Um, so then uh, there's another Jeopardy question. This Elia Kazan-directed movie was the uh, debut for actor Warren Beatty. And Mr. Boggs guesses Shampoo... And the answer is Splendor in the Grass. And here's why that's funny, because Warren Beatty was in both. Splendor in the Grass was his debut, 1961. Shampoo, 1975. So, Mr. Bugs clearly guessing the the first Warren Beatty movie that occurs to him as an older Warren Beatty movie. (laughs) Right. Um, So, real quick... I read the entire plot of Splendor in the Grass with my mouth slightly open at how shocking some older movies can be. Okay. I'm not going to give you the whole thing. However, it starts with this, and I have this ingrained in my brain for some time. Um, Bud, played by Warren Beatty, and I want to say, like, Dottie are dating, and they want to have sex. So... Natalie Wood is the, is the girl, and Warren Beatty's the guy. I will refer to them as their actors' names because uh, that's just how I do. So Natalie Wood asks her mom, or mom, her mom's like, hey, wait until marriage. Then uh, Warren Beatty's dad is like, hey, wait until marriage with her. Find a side chick to have sex with. That's Which I was some like, advice. what a, and it takes place in the 20s, and it's definitely supposed to be about this, like, dichotomy of, of things, uh, what's it called? Patriarchy. But it was, I was like, I was reading it just to sort of get a, get an idea of what was going on. The whole thing, it seems like it's well-written. It won, um, an Oscar for the screenplay. Okay. It seems like a very cool and well-written, horrifying tragedy of like heartbreak and stuff. Like they are together, but then he starts sleeping with this other girl. So she thinks that he's dating her now. So she starts dating someone else, all this stuff. Long story short, she's in, she ends up in an insane asylum. His family loses all their money. Oh. And uh, then uh, they don't get together. So, yep. I uh, assume she would end up pregnant by she someone She did else. not end up pregnant. She almost, um, I might cut this, she, um, but then she doesn't, but then she does the waterfall. And so she gets sent to an insane asylum. But check this out. Because her family throws her into the insane asylum they have to sell they're both both families are like rich oil people 
Sure. Natalie Wood's family has to sell their oil stock to pay for her going to the insane asylum. Okay. Which means that they don't have any stock in the stock market when it crashes in 1929. So they actually end up making a profit and doing great and, and, and like riding out the curve of that because she's in an insane asylum. <laughs> I mean, silver linings? D- yeah, yeah, exactly. Warren Beatty's family didn't do that because he's a man and does, isn't ever crazy. And so they lose all their money and, you know, bad stuff, etc., etc. This movie, I kind of want to see it. I kind of want to read a, a really good short story of it, though. Uh, like, a lot more. Like, yeah. I'd prefer if it was like a, like a, almost like was a Tennessee a Williams. It was not a short story. It was, oh. uh, I think, originally a screenplay. Oh, okay. Yeah, original screen. It won for original screenplay, so it was originally a screenplay. Okay, so Shampoo was 1975. It also stars Warren Beatty. He is a hairdresser that has sex with a bunch of his customers. Consensually... Good. Just like it's this, it takes place on election day, 1968. And it's, it says the theme of the film is not presidential politics, but sexual politics. It is renowned for its sharp satire of late 1960s sexual and social mores. I've heard right. nothing but good things about, about shampoo. It's supposed to be really, really good. This movie is honestly all I have heard about shampoo. Um, well, there you go. Uh, shampoo, the guy that Warren Beatty plays it doesn't mention it in the Wikipedia, but on the uh, You Must Remember This series about uh, uh, Charles Manson, mm-hmm. one of the people involved in that was a hairdresser upon whom they think this may have been somewhat based. Oh. Um, that they may have based Warren Beatty's character on this guy. Yeah. So. Oh, and co- and, and Warren Beatty co-wrote it uh, with, okay. this, with uh, Robert Town. Well, I don't know who that is. But uh, Goldie Hawn's in it. And that's, oh. and that's what's important. But that is all I have for today. Today, Thursday, note day. Um, okay. Notable well, Thursday. Yeah, usually Thursdays are our shorter episodes, but not this week. <laughs> nope. This week is the long Thursday. But mm-hmm. we're going to have a short social media, which consists of yes. the following. We as a podcast franchise are on Twitter at JE underscore Minute Movies. We as individual people are on Twitter at unabashedly Aaron and unabashed James we are proud members of the scavengers network on twitter at scavengers net alongside a bunch of other great shows one of which we will drop an ad for at the end of this episode yep absolutely that is it for us today so James I have one more uh jeopardy question for you okay yes here we go this vehicle mm-hmm. is larger than a car. Hold on. Okay. All right. Bam, bam, bam. Um, what is truck? That is correct. Nice. That's okay. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content. Are you a fan of Boy Meets World? 
Do you enjoy rewatch podcasts? Well, then you should check out The Lost Years, a retrospective fan cast hosted by me, Tay. And me, Sid. It's my favorite show of all time. And I've never seen it. Each week, we're recapping a new episode of Boy Meets World, sharing bits of nostalgia and learning a wholesome lesson. Join us on our rewatch journey, won't you? School's in session every Tuesday, wherever you find your podcasts. What else do you need to know?